Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Dore. I appreciate you taking some time to join us today. Before we get started, going to do the same thing we do every week for our compliance department and just remind you that what you are about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice, but instead as a discussion of where we think the market and the economy are going broadly. If you have some questions about how this might apply to you individually, I would encourage you to give us a call. You can reach us here at the office at any time. So with that, let's take a dive into what happened last week and a little bit of an outlook if you will, on inflation and Fed policy. You know, last week we took a pretty deep dive into the impacts of the Federal Reserve's 75 basis point rate hike. If you listened last week, you know I was not particularly impressed. Simply put, the Fed changed the rules of the game in the middle of the seventh inning. That may have made the market happy in the short term, but it may not be a good plan for expectations going forward. It became clear from the Fed's decision that market sentiment mattered more than anything. And by untethering the interest rate policy from the core economic data that has driven it for the last 40 years, we've also untethered sentiment. So what do we get out of that? We get market volatility. Sometimes market volatility is very good. Sometimes market volatility is very bad. If you go back to the end of the week prior, that was not particularly good. As the market began to be concerned that the Fed's rate increases could have a recessionary impact. This week... This week, that volatility was very good. The S&P 500 was up nearly 7%. But right now, I would argue we can't expect that to always be the case going forward. And we're going to have to be a little careful right now because sentiment is going to continue to rule the roost until we get some hard economic data that's going to get us back on a data-driven approach to interest rate policy. So this week, I want to take some time to go into those new rules and look at what they might mean for the future I do think there's some hope on the horizon, so let's dive into that a little bit. Before I do this, I had a client mention to me last week, they're like, you keep talking about all these different types of inflation, could you break them down for me a little bit? And so I want to spend just a moment on the difference between core and headline inflation so that we understand where I'm going with the rest of this podcast. So the big shift last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, was the Fed's announcement that they were moving away from core inflation to headline inflation as their justification for a larger rate increase. What does that mean? Headline inflation is also known as all items inflation. Just think of it as inflation broadly. It's all inflation. And that is the number that shook the market most about three weeks ago when the last month's reading came in up 8.6%, the highest number we'd seen in 40 years. Core inflation is different. Core inflation is headline inflation minus food and energy inflation. For the last 40 years, that has been the standard for interest rate policy decisions. Why? Because Chairman Powell noted a couple weeks ago, it is the best predictor for future inflation. And food and energy inflation has historically been divorced from broader economic issues. It can run hot or cold on its own. Why do I say that? Think of it this way. Take everything that we've been dealing with this year from an inflationary perspective, forget about COVID, and just imagine that in any normal year, Russia invaded Ukraine. That would drive energy prices higher. doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. 
or imagine in any other year where things are normal, we have a particularly bad drought that would drive food prices higher. It doesn't matter what's happening in the economy. Core inflation has now fallen for the last couple of months. Knowing those two things, knowing what core is, knowing what headline is, knowing that the Fed has said that despite the fact that core is the best predictor, they're clearly paying attention more to headline inflation because that's what people feel. Both food and energy have been running significantly ahead of core inflation for the last several months. No question about that. And last month, it was significantly worse. And so while food is high, and I think something we have to watch, it's been affected by the by what's going on in Ukraine. But, but energy, I think, was the much bigger driver last month, last couple months, and I think probably is going to be for the next few months. So let's talk about energy as it relates to headline inflation. So when you think about inflation and the number that the Department of Labor comes out with when they release their data, you need to think of it as a pie. And there are all these different types of inflation that go into that pie. And then you add all those up together. They have kind of a weight. You add those together and that gets you to total inflation. So the energy piece of the pie last month was about 8.255% of the pie. And I I put this breakdown from the Department of Labor in the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Memo so you can see it. But when you look at that 8.255% of the pie, then you have to break it down even further because spending on gasoline accounted for about 55% of that 8.255%. Beyond that, though, it gets a a little fuzzier because you start looking at things like electricity. Electricity comes from many different sources of energy. You have 20% of electrical production that comes from renewable energy. You have 19% that comes from nuclear energy. You have 22% from coal. You have 38% from natural gas. Let's focus on that natural gas piece because natural gas, just piped natural gas that's going to homes to heat them, makes up as of last month, about 10.58% of that 8.255. But electricity, when you look at electricity and you start adding the pieces together and you say 38% of electrical production comes from natural gas, that gets us to about another 11.6% of energy inflation that comes from natural gas going to electrical production. So what that means is 55 roughly percent of energy inflation comes from gasoline and roughly 23% or excuse me roughly 22% comes from natural gas then there's about 23% that comes from everything else so we're going to put our focus today on the 77% of energy inflation that comes from those two commodities gasoline and natural gas What has happened in those commodity prices since the start of June? Should we expect that next month we're going to see headline inflation rise or fall based on what is happening with energy inflation? There is some good news right now on gasoline prices. They are falling from their peak. The not so good news is that the peak happened earlier this month. So the daily, so I'm, I'm looking at the Bloomberg unleaded gasoline sub-index. And again, I include this chart in the memo. The daily average during the month of May, last month, for that index was 525.29. The average so far for the month of June is 582.82. But that number is falling rapidly. It actually peaked back on June 6th, I believe. Uh, no, excuse me, June 8th at 
well over 600 and has fallen back. But it's going to have to fall significantly more over the course of the next four days by the time you listen to this memo if we're going to see a net drop between May and June. Now, let's assume, and and I know what they say about assuming, but let's assume that the price for unleaded remains flat for the rest of the month. If that were the case, the June number would end up being, on average, about 574 and a half. That would be about 9.37% higher than the average for last month. That is a little bit larger than last month's 7.6% increase. Now, where the voodoo comes into this math is that the, the Department of Labor also adjusts for seasonality. Seasonality meaning that they expect that there is going to be a rise in gas prices in the summer because people are out hitting the road more, right? There's more gasoline demand. And so what I don't have the math for is the Department of Labor's super detailed secret formula for seasonality. But I think that what we need to know is that in June, so far, gas has been slightly more expensive than what we saw in May. But it's falling, and it's falling rapidly. May not be good for the June inflation print, but it may be something that by the time we get to the July inflation print is significantly better. So that's gasoline. Let's talk about natural gas. And from now until I get to the end of this memo, if or the end of this podcast, please note that if I say gas, I mean natural gas. Okay, we're going to spend some time on this. Natural gases, gas prices right now, I think, is the hidden story. They have fallen a stunning 32.5% from their peak on June 6th. Again, assuming no further movement for the month of June, that would result in roughly a 7.5% drop in the price of natural gas between what we saw in May and what we see in June. That would be a stunning reversal from the 7.8% growth we saw from April to May. But why is this happening? The thing that people are not talking about right now, and I think it's very fascinating, is that on June 8th, about two and a half weeks ago, there was a significant explosion at the Freeport LNG terminal in Texas. Initially, the reports out of Texas were that this would be something that would be pretty easy to fix. That has turned out to not be true. It now looks like it's going to take six months or more to repair the Freeport Terminal. So what does that mean? What is the Freeport Terminal? The Freeport Terminal is a liquefied natural gas terminal through which we export natural gas overseas. So let's just talk about that process really quickly. You have a pipeline that comes into the terminal. At the terminal, they supercool natural gas into a liquid form. They put it on a boat in its liquid form. And then it gets shipped overseas. It goes to Asia or to Europe or whoever we're selling it to and gets regasified and sold in that market. Why would we do that? We do that because there is a significant spread between the price of natural gas here and the price of natural gas overseas. That's been caused by what's happening in Europe, undoubtedly. There's been a significant spread between here and overseas for a long time. Okay, so what does Freeport mean to our exports? Freeport Terminal makes up 20% of our natural gas export capacity. And exports make up 12% of our entire natural gas market. So what that means is that we now have 2.4% less demand in natural gas today than we saw three weeks ago. So for the next six months... 2.4% of supply is going to be able to go out into the market in other places. 
It's going to be able to be used for domestic uses like electrical production. But it's also going to be able to go into storage. And this is really important because summer is the time of year in which we're using the least natural gas. Winter, when we're burning gas for heat, is when we use the most. So what this does is it allows us to build up our storage capacity at a time of year when natural gas demand is at its, at its lowest. So where I'm going with this is that is not going to change quickly. We know gasoline prices are coming down. Gas prices or natural gas prices have already come down substantially, and I don't think we can expect them to go back up anytime soon. Now, for those of you who are investors in companies like Birchcliff Energy with us, please note this. Natural gas prices are still very high and very good for our gas producing companies that we're invested in. They're going to be able to make plenty of money, but the extremely high prices that we were seeing just a few weeks ago, $9 plus for natural gas, have now come back into the $6 range, and I think we'll probably stay there for a little while. Don't don't get me wrong. Natural gas prices are not going to go back to their pre-COVID lows. Energy today, in my opinion, is still one of the best investments out there in this inflationary environment. But as we keep this natural gas demand lower, it's going to keep prices lower as we head through the summer. And this explosion, while tragic for the industry, may actually end up being the golden ticket out of higher headline inflation. So where does that leave us? Optimistic in the midterm, you know, over the next three months or so, I think there is a strong argument for headline inflation dropping along with core inflation like we've seen. It also leaves me a little bit skeptical in the short term because we don't know what the gasoline number is going to be for July. I think that there's still some skepticism there as to whether or not it goes up or down. But it turns out that we're not alone because just a few days ago, the market was placing 96% odds that we would see another 75 basis point rate hike in July. That number today has dropped to 84%, but I think there's still some market sentiment that inflation is going to run a little high in July. That can change quickly. Remember, earlier this month when we got the May numbers, that there was a very rapid change from a 50 basis point hike to a 75 basis point hike. If that inflation data, which comes out on July 13th, comes out better than expected, we would expect a similar, very rapid shift from a 75 basis point hike back down to a 50 basis point hike. That sentiment would shift very quickly. And as we all know, it seems like sentiment is all that Chairman Powell and the FOMC are pretty particularly concerned about right now. So we'll leave it there for this week. Some good news on energy, which is probably the biggest driver of headline inflation, but probably going to take a little bit of time to work this out. In the meantime, if you have any questions about this or if you'd like to discuss this and how it relates to your portfolio, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You can always reach us at the office at 515-273-1333, or we'd encourage you to visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I appreciate your time today. Look forward to touching base with you again next week. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.